welcome to Grounded Sounds. I'm Jen. And I'm Abel, and it's great to be here in it's January. January 2017, and uh, yeah, everything's... Getting towards the end of the month, I think. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is, and um, Time. yeah. You guys are so futuristic. Hopefully. I know we try. <laughs> but so we um, we used to try to just pretend like we were at like the date we were airing, and then we always messed up. You know, we always right. said something that would like mess it up, and so then we just now that we just kind of and, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Love the OU had just a great season, and won yeah. the championship. That's right. That's right. <laughs> a lot of predictions. A lot of some of the predictions have not gone so well. Um, uh, oh, yeah. we had some election predictions that did not happen. We did, one, we did record one. On election night. Election night. That was very stressful. <laughs> that, that's airing in January. Um, yeah, so we have some predictions. So if you guys think you can tell the future for January, then we definitely want to hear it. <laughs> I think um, in January, I predict it'll be 2017. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty safe one. Yes. <laughs> and I predict that your beard will look magnificent. Man. In, well, in done and done. Luxurious. Yeah, absolutely. Luxur- luxurious, of course. That, that's the exact word I was looking for. Envy over here. Right? <laughs> I just shaved at the end of October. This is my November beard so far. I, I just shaved yesterday. <laughs> I shaved in 2015. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Weird. So we have a treat of a podcast. We're going to dive right in. We have Charlie Hall and Brian Bergman here tonight, and we are just <laughs> thrilled to have you guys. It's, um, we're just yeah excited to talk to you. And you guys have a pretty cool dynamic. You guys used to be bandmates. Yes. Um, how long ago was that? That was. It's been six years since we were traveling hard. Yeah. And we traveled hard. You know, I I was on the road for about twenty years, and I think Brian was with me about twelve, thirteen of those. Yeah. 13 years. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. And it's just over the last probably six years that both of us just pulled back mm-hmm. exhaustion <laughs> and still like each other. Yeah. Still like each other. <laughs> yeah. There's this isn't like a 30 for 30 or behind the music where, where we air all of our dirty laundry. <laughs> I have a few things to tell you about him. We need to go there. Can get blue in here. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I will say that, you know, everyone jokes about people that are hangry. Yeah. But never have you ever met <laughs> a man that's six foot eight when he's hangry. Yeah. It's and then terrifying. he finally gets his meal and then he spills his meal. <laughs> <laughs> and then all he has left is a, a shake and he curls up in a ball and drinks it in the dark. <laughs> it's the saddest thing you ever seen. I wish that that was not a true story. <laughs> it is a true story. Oh, and it was the same night that he spilled his 72 ounce Dr. Pepper on the on the hotel um, check-in <laughs> place on their computer. <laughs> so it was a rough yeah. night for him. Yeah. 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 At one point we were in Atlanta and I got separated from you guys. We're running through the airport. And he gets anxiety when he's separated. From oh, us. yeah. Separation anxiety. Cause yeah. I, he, he blends into a crowd. He's <laughs> down here. And yeah. I blend in like <laughs> so below the average height. We're, we're running to a plane and I got separated from them cause I got cut off at the, uh, at the escalator by a so self-centered person, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And I was real happy about that. And I got there and one of the flight attendants is waiting outside of the airplane, standing there waiting at the door. And she goes, you must be Brian. And I was like, why? And they, she said, they told me you were tall and you're probably going to be really angry. Yeah. And he, and he was. Easy to identify. I was. Yeah. yeah. Accurate. It was accurate. Two out of two. Yeah. So did you guys meet through, did you know each other before you were, you played together or did you um, meet through music? 
we met through me- music, mutual Some, friends. A um, little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. We met in about 1999, mm-hmm. 98, 99. And um, yeah, we were, we were kind of in the same... Um, kind of work working with youth and uh trying to pour in and build up kids help them um see see a good path to walk on and we were both kind of doing that separately and doing music separately and then just made that connection and we kind of we'd kind of indirectly bumped into each other over the years it's like a lot of a lot of the music world's pretty small Mm -hmm. because it's like knew Nathan and Christy mm-hmm. and I don't remember if you were there whenever I met them because I met them in Houston and it's like met them got to know them a little bit got to know some other people that were all Oklahoma people kind of met them and got to know them and then it's like all these dots start connecting back and it's like I'm look you look back on it years later and go well here's where I met Charlie I think you know what I mean it's like yeah you're you're not sure if you met him somewhere else or some other way right um and you might have because you kind of bump into people mm-hmm. um so yeah well and you know we don't we don't have a direction for tonight but i do want to ask something um to brian and then i also want to hear um charlie of uh, your journey uh, with music and um but one of my questions, because you and I have had conversations about mm-hmm. this, is so this might be a collaborative answer of you know where music was twenty years ago when you guys started, yeah. where it is today, yeah. and um, what you think it could use <laughs> these days, or what you oh, think could um, you know, especially for our Oklahoma City community. I know Brian and I've talked a lot about yeah. that, but um, yeah, I'm just kind of curious about that. Um, <clears throat> I think I think the music industry in general doesn't have any idea where it's going. Um, and they're trying to figure it out. Like it's not for lack of trying, but I think sometimes we get inside of something and we're inside of something for so long that we just kind of assume that that's the way it's supposed to continue to be. So there are a lot of really smart people that are in record labels. They're really, they're not unintelligent people, but they're so buried in it that it's like, uh, it, it always amazes me and Charlie chime in and anybody else that wants to argue with me at any point you can, but like, Oh, I know iTunes. some people. Yeah, you know some people that want to argue. Yeah, with they them. wear shirts. There's <laughs> a whole club of them. Yeah. It's like a biker gang. It's only. a biker gang. We yeah. want to argue only with the Brian shirts Bergman. are yellow. I don't know why they're yellow. They're yellow. But um, jaundice. <laughs> jaundice. Sorry. But like like iTunes. I remember a few years ago, several record labels went together and they sued iTunes um, because they wanted to be able to say that iTunes had to charge more than ninety nine cents. And I was looking at that going, are you stupid? Are you trying to kill the, the, the goose laid golden eggs? Like you have no product cost. You have relatively little overhead um, in general. And I don't know if the rules are still the same now, but we made more off of a song selling on iTunes than we did off of an entire record selling in other outlets. Yeah. Like literally, because like the, at that, whenever I was still playing music, like the, the rate was like 78 cents out of every song goes back to the record label songwriter. Their cut was pretty small and they just made billions of dollars because of the volume of it. Well, we make less than that on a song or on an entire album whenever an album first comes out. Mm -hmm. But the record industry was so 
they're trying to figure out how to maximize all these things and how to make as much money off of this one thing as humanly possible that we lost sight of the fact that we want to put music in people's hands. This is a great way to do it. There's no costs. There's very little hard cost in it because you're not printing CDs, you're not printing artwork, you're not doing all these kinds of things, and you're able to put it in people's hands. And, <clears throat> and this is a longer conversation that I, I'll have with Yourself. anybody at any time. Yeah, <laughs> or that's happened. Um, but I, but I'm of the opinion that music, where we're headed with music, I think, is heading back to the way it was in the '50s. In the '50s, it wasn't about record sales. Record sales was purely to promote the artist, and it was marketing. Yeah. They wanted them on the charts. They wanted them on the radio because when they came to town, they wanted you to go see them. Yeah. Well, that's where the money is because the truth is <clears throat> I rarely, the only people that I buy records of are people that I consider my friends or that their music has made a profound impact in my life. Mm -hmm. I buy those records. I buy those physical records because I want them to keep making something beautiful and I want to contribute as much as humanly possible. Sure. But for the most part, I'll listen to it on Spotify or yeah. whatever else. Yeah. Well, it's that's where I'll go. records on LP. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. is a, you know, an old technology, but it's strange how anything that means enough to me that I want a physical copy of it, I'll search it out on LP. Yeah. It's a memento. Yeah, sure. mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. it's a memento. Absolutely. Yeah. Or going to a show and buying a record because it's the experience. Yeah. That, you know. yeah. And you can't pirate an experience. Mm -hmm. Digital downloads is never going to affect the experience because, and I'll say this, I've said this for years and years, and I'll continue to say it because I really do believe it even years and years after traveling with Charlie. Um, one of the best things about Charlie is live. Mm -hmm. He's a lot more fun. Then, and I think he's better than his records have ever represented. And I think some of the records are pretty good. Selfishly, I think some of the, <laughs> the ones you played good. on, yeah, absolutely, they just shine. There was the keyboards on there were amazing. Oh my gosh, listen um, to that sound! But but the truth is, like, Charlie is better live than he is anything else, and it's because uh, because of what he carries inside of him, because of who he is, and because. I think people can smell BS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I can say after 13 years of being on the road, after being friends, after having the space of not traveling with Charlie for a few years, I still like and respect him. Mm -hmm. I still have lots of good things to say about him. Um, and this isn't the mutual appreciation society where I say all <laughs> the nice things about Charlie and then I expect you to say nice things back. <laughs> but it really is genuinely like, we, we see those things we and we feel those things where we see them live. Mm -hmm. We see those things and there are people that we want to, there are people we want to support and there's beautiful music that we want to get behind because they're saying something that means something. Yeah. Because, you know, and I've had numerous conversations and we had a conversation with a songwriter years ago. We were at Glorietta. John Foreman was talking about what songs he, how he writes songs. Oh, right, right. <clears throat> and he said, and it was like, how do you how do you write? Because he's a pretty prolific songwriter, mm -hmm. and he writes songs. He writes a song every day, mm -hmm. and whenever he writes, he's writing for himself, and he's documenting. He's writing it all down. He's putting it all down, and and I don't remember who asked the question. It might have been Kendall. I don't remember who it was. They said, how do you decide which ones you record? Like, who do you how do you decide which ones you play for everybody else? He said, I asked myself the question: um, Is this song for me? Or is this song for us? Because great songs are for us. Mm -hmm. Great songs are the ones that we can see ourselves in, that we can feel ourselves in, then that we've all felt. Mm -hmm. Because we can look at 
the 15 minutes of fame song and we can make jokes about any of the songs that are out there right now. And I can tell you, we could probably all say with a fairly good degree of accuracy, which ones are going to last and which ones aren't. Yeah. And the ones that are, are the ones that say something we feel. Right. So, Mm. yeah. So I think that that's, that's long story short, long story longer. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's the direction where I feel like music needs to go. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it's not American Idol. It's not karaoke. Yeah. It's not entertainment mm-hmm. because entertainment is passing. Mm-hmm. It's momentary. But something beautiful, like a songwriter that says something they really feel, mm-hmm. when you hear that come out of their mouths, you go, holy smokes. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. And we just had an artist, Justin Joslin, on who, um, man, he just. He was good. He was so good. Sounds and. He really captured that idea of, you know, he, he talks about, he likes to play for a lot of different, um, he, he, he's a part of the dragonfly home, which is who we interviewed, hmm. um, Melissa with the dragonfly home and kind of part of the bigger picture. He likes to play with for nonprofits and things like yeah. that, but just really capture that the bigger, you know, of not just what am I going to say that I feel today, but like connecting with the bigger ideas and yeah. other people. So yeah. Yeah, Charlie, what do you what are your uh, thoughts on? I mean, I I would say I generally agree with Brian and I would just add like you know, I mean, money is is a powerful force mm-hmm. and nothing there's nothing innately wrong with it, but when I think I think when it starts driving things and driving people, then everything gets convoluted, mm-hmm. messed up. You know, I think we're probably in our simplest form, we're born we're born to tie our work to, um, I believe, to God and the good of man. Mm-hmm. And I think if if there's a paycheck behind that, that's great. Um, if not, then we have to find a job that covers that work that we tie to God and the good of man. And so I think, you know, with art in particular, music and art in particular, if that gets driven back to a a pure place where it's not money driven and ego driven or, you know, I mean, we fight with our ego, every single one of us, but, um, um, if it, maybe those are fought against maybe in a different way or wrestled with in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, what comes out is more raw, honest, vulnerable, beautiful, um, you know, angsty, even if it's in a major chord. And, and so I think there's something in it that, that touches on the human soul mm-hmm. that doesn't when, when something's written for money, fame, um, you know, uh, I don't mind pop music. I've got young kids. So I listen to some pop music by, <laughs> by accident and, uh, yeah. <laughs> and they, you know, they stuff it in your ears. They, they play it three or four or five, six, 10 times a day. And then, you know, like yeah. everyone else, I go to sleep singing. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but there's, there's, it's so like, it's so made for your ear and nothingness, you know? Yeah. Consumption. And yeah, just for consumption. And it's like, yeah. it's like a, it's like a, a man or a human being that has no real content to themselves, but they grow a, a hipster mustache and a tattoo and all of a sudden they look interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, this pop music is like, there's no content, but I'm going to put all these noises on here and it's all of a sudden it's interesting. Yeah. But you've, there's no, there's no like good calories there. 
Yeah. What, so Carrie's in the studio today, Abel's wife, and we love, we always try to give her a microphone and she never accepts it, but she said, yeah, it's like a formula. I mean, it's like you, okay, if you have this and this and this, you, you know, but yeah. it doesn't mean you have yeah. the content. Right. And, yeah. And we had a good friend that signed a record deal and they told him for the first two years of his record deal, his job mm. was to go get a personal trainer and get tattoos. Oh, <gasps> nice. Really? You remember that conversation? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm not making I'm not making that up. I mean, I believe their it, whole thing was, <laughs> yeah. and they're going to pay for the right, the trainer. It's like because we'll that friend is you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I got so many tattoos. <laughs> I've got this friend. He's about six foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> but there's but there's so much of that that it's like, <clears throat> and we hear stories all the time still to this day, like really great bands. There was a really great band out of Tulsa that. Um, they sat down and had a conversation about getting a record deal and the conversation, uh, the, the tipping point of the conversation was you got to get rid of your bass player cause he's not pretty enough. Oh, and it's like, like um, I, the one that comes to mind for me is Orianti. Is anybody familiar with Orianti? Mm-hmm. She's a brilliant guitarist. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Carlos Santana said that she's the future of guitarists wow. in this country, but she signed to, um, I want to say Columbia and she's really pretty, uh, young Australian girl. Mm. And they popified her. Yeah. You wouldn't believe oh, yeah. it. And I've seen her play um, really bluesy. I mean, she has an album with Steve Vai. Like, she's that good. Wow. And yeah. um, and they completely popped her out. And she had a couple uh, pop songs and nothing is really. She was Alice Cooper's touring guitarist. Oh, wow. Really? She was going to be on the on the uh, Michael Jackson album that didn't come out. Uh, like, she was practicing for that album. And um, they completely made her really poppy and... It just wasn't who she was. It wasn't honest. And, um, yeah. you know, you haven't really heard anything about her yeah. since then. Well, there seems to be a disconnect, obviously, with kind of the industry mm-hmm. and then content of music. Um, I, I was at Americana Fest this past year in Nashville, and I, I lived in Nashville for a while. And, you know, my experience there was the radio country and kind of that industry. Mm-hmm. And, and then when I went back this past year, it was actually really um, – it was really fulfilling because to be at Americana Fest, it was, it was about like just organic grassroots music, you know, mm-hmm. and it, that, you know, there was, there were some really well-known songwriters there, but at the same time, it, it you just didn't feel that ego that you kind of felt yeah. with yeah. the radio country industry um, end of it when I was there. And so, I mean, same with pop or some, you know, it's like, so what, what's this missing link? I mean, what do you guys think on that? Like, what, what are your thoughts? I, I mean, I think some of it's like, uh, this is not well thought out, so, but I'll just <laughs> brainstorm it out loud. I just think, like, for me, m- I'm most honest when I am when I can own how dark I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm when I'm familiar with how dark I can be, and I pull that in with with what also what I want people to see me as. Mm-hmm. When I pull those two things together. I think it's real. Mm-hmm. When I just want people to see the best parts of me, mm-hmm. then you can kind of feel, I mean, I assume people can feel that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I would rather, I would rather not be, I'd rather not have a dark side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'd, I'd rather not wrestle with myself. Um, but when I bring that wrestling match into a song, every single human being on earth identifies with wrestling with their, their shadow, their yeah. dark side. Yeah. And so it doesn't even matter what the wrestling match is. It just, you start to identify like, yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. I wrestle too. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's that persona versus, yeah. you know, that true self. Yeah. Um, and, and Charlie, I, you know, I didn't really introduce you guys properly because um, I think so many of, you know, in Oklahoma city, so many people know you guys and um, love you guys, but you know, we'll, we'll continue to unravel who you guys are. If, if any listeners have not heard of you guys, but dum, dum, dum. Um, Charlie, <laughs> you have yeah. obviously you're a music veteran um, and a Christian music genre. So um, kind of going back to what you were just talking about, kind of that wrestling match within yourself. I mean, from what I've even seen within a lot of local churches with Oklahoma City, um, people, I think, are wanting to see more authentic, um, you know, place, churches and establishments and and people because it's like, you know, maybe back in the 50s, you there maybe it may have been that compartmentalization of like, well, I'll drink at home yeah. or at the bar, um, but I, I won't drink, drink at um, yeah. church. But now, you know, now breweries are sponsoring church events, yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. that's okay. That's it's like there's that um, because there's, that's kind of what a lot of our community is saying, Hey, it's, yeah. it's okay. It's okay to be ourselves yeah. and to yeah. go have Anthem, which is our sponsors tonight yeah, at, nice. you know, at, um, yeah. I know city press opened, we yeah. interviewed Bobby Griffith about yeah. how they open up their doors to yeah. secular shows right. and kind of where it's not just so black and white. Um, so as an artist, as a Christian music artist, um, kind of, again, what are your thoughts on that? And going back to you wrestling with yourself, but being really candid with people. And it sounds like that's what people have connected with. Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I mean, I've been through, um, in terms of my, my faith journey, I've been through all kinds of phases. You know, one where I felt like I was doing really well in my faith journey, and then you tend to flaunt that. Mm -hmm. And when you find when you find people of um, faith that are in that moment in their journey, you, you take a snapshot, and usually that's why people want to reject Christianity in general, mm -hmm. religion in, you know, in really general. Um, cause nobody likes that because they understand their personal wrestling match. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went to the other side where I'm still on my faith journey, but I've found this quote unquote freedom, meaning I can do whatever I want mm -hmm. and everyone just has to get around it and understand it cause, or I'm going to be really misunderstood. Mm -hmm. That's equally, that's just the other side of the coin mm -hmm. and people tend to gravitate toward one or the other, um, because it's it's simpler, it's definable, and anything that's definable is much more like enjoyable. It's hard to hold the tension and live in the gray, and um, especially in terms of Christian faith, which is very very specific. Mm -hmm. And um, and so to to live in the specificities of of what real Christianity is is to hold the tension of both that I'm willing to run away from God mm -hmm. and I'm willing to dart toward him almost second by second. Mm -hmm. And um, so for me, it's been 25 years of trying to find what that, what that balance is and that I can be honest about both sides simultaneously. And that's where I'm most connected to God is he wants my, you know, he would he was asking for my whole self or my real self, not my best self or my most pitiful self, mm -hmm. but my whole self. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to carry and where Jesus is offensive, the human plight of, um, of, um, wrong and right and, and evil and perfection and, um, all that's pretty common across the board. Mm -hmm. And so I think when, you know, it, 
if we, if I can stand in that most common space and if people are interested enough to know more, then it's easy for me to go like, this is, this is what I believe. This is what I stand in. Mm-hmm. So. Abel, did you have a question? I'm sorry. I felt like I, uh, I don't think so. Okay. I felt like I had jumped right into a <laughs> oh, question no, with Charlie. About, you were talking about wrestling <laughs> with your darker self and, um, I talked about it on the last podcast, but have you listened to uh, Leonard Cohen's last record? Uh, you want it darker? No, I haven't listened to uh, it, but yeah, I love that. It's deep and dark, and Leonard Cohen just yeah. talking to God, saying, "I'm done. Like I am completely done. Yeah. Th- this could, could, this is over." Yeah, and, and then he died. You know, like yeah. a month after he yeah. put that record out, but it is deep and really good. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. and we talked about the polarities of being even a music artist of you know going into those dark points of yourself and then also you know the part of hope that comes from that and so it's it's really cool to hear you in just your personal journey you know I hear that I hear like you know you're kind of you have these different places that you go that could be on opposite ends of the spectrum and then trying to find that balance in between and yeah it's just realizing that they're not opposites yeah that they're it's I'm one and the same I'm a convoluted man yeah that is in need of I understand my depth of need as a human being and I understand that I really don't have it to offer myself mm-hmm. and as great as as great and wonderful as people I people I know are as great as Brian is no one can really offer me the the true help I need mm-hmm. and so I find that in something that's outside of me and otherly and outside of this world mm-hmm. and so it's um but that's that takes a lot to get to the place where yeah. <laughs> you can stand in that yeah and we and we need both sides of that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we we talked about this in other contexts, other contexts in the past, but um, it's something that even the last six months I've been thinking a lot about as far as like the act of breathing, kind of the that we need both sides of it. We need the inhale, we need the exhale, we need both sides of that in order f- because if all you do is inhale, you die. Mm-hmm. If all you do is exhale, you die. Mm-hmm. And as somebody, and when Charlie talks about wrestling with darkness. <clears throat> we talk about all those things. Um, uh, I'm a little melancholy. Like my kids to this day tease me about the songs that I play at my house. Uh-huh. Cause they're like, dad, do you listen to anything besides sad music? <laughs> like, can we get some happy music on please? And I'm like, well, this is happy music. They're like, no, do we have to show you what happy music is? But I gravitate towards that. I gravitate towards that dark side of me mm-hmm. and I gravitate towards the wrestling and I gravitate towards a lot of the things, which is necessary. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, and I'm a very like, when I'm all in, I'm all in. But sometimes I give the side eye to the guy who's always had it all right. Mm-hmm. You know that guy, no girl ever broke up with him. <laughs> Everything's worked out for him. And you really want to beat the daylights out of them. Like, <clears throat> and we can all name names of people that fit in that category. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> and, We're going to be the most hated podcast. <laughs> but, but, but it's also like, and even to kind of tie a bow around this a little bit, as far as like even like the earnestness, because a lot of times we associate, and I'm the, ki- I'm the chief of doing this. We associate earnestness with a particular music style. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Like, you can be earnest and play pop music. Yeah. You actually can. Now, are there very many people doing it? No, because we've rewarded a bunch of BS. We really have. You know, the, I think the most <clears throat> earnest, I don't even know if you can call it pop, but the most earnest pop band I've 
can think of off the top of my head is probably OK Go. Their music's very poppy, but their whole um, their whole theory behind all their music is um, everything's very genuine. Everything they do is very, very yeah. genuine. And they put everything very genuine into it. There's, awesome. They're completely anti, you know, um, doing stuff for the sake of being poppy or whatever. Yeah. I and really like them for that. Yeah, and it's and and it's coming to the realization too that just because it's entertaining doesn't mean it's entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those are two different; those are two really divergent things. Because there are artists. There was an artist that about every six weeks they had a choreographer that came out to give them feedback on what their signature moves on stage should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, and it made me like wretch in my soul. Yeah. Like made me wretch in my soul. <clears throat> and for probably what a year and a half, like? what's it? I don't don't show. Yeah, I've got to see these moves. Yeah, I'll have to take my shirt off in order to. Yeah, let's <laughs> leave that thing on. But it made me like rich in my soul. And for about a year and a half, I would sit at the keyboard and I would. I felt like I'm not supposed to move. We're supposed to be shoegazers. We're supposed to do this. We're supposed to do that, which was complete BS on the other side. And then we saw this band that has a spectacularly fun, the guys from Mute Math, <clears throat> they just have fun and they break stuff on stage and they run around and they act like absolute morons. Um, and every time I ever watched them, it was joyful. It was like they were being joyful idiots. Yeah. They didn't have like signature moves and a choreographer never told them to do any of that. Right. They're and just it, simply angry. Yeah, yeah they were so just they angry things. and they wanted to break stuff. Mm. Yeah, um, express it. But, but it was like they were entertaining, but they weren't entertainment. Right. The point, the point wasn't that they were fun to watch. Yeah. The point was they were having a lot of fun and it was a great show. Yeah. So, and it's so, but it goes back to the thing of like, earnestness isn't a style. Yeah. It's not sad bastard music. Yeah. It's not any of those things because in my head, I want it to be that. Hey, if you're a singer songwriter, you're earnest. Well, sometimes there are singer songwriters that are assholes too. I assume I'm allowed to say assholes. Yes, you um, say it all day. There are some singer-songwriters that are assholes too, you know? Yeah. And there are some pop artists out there, I have to believe, that are maybe good people. Like, I have to believe that. You should. I should. I will say, um, I grew up with the guys from the All-American Rejects, and Chris yeah. Taylor's one of my good friends, and I love him, and Mike Kennerty, yeah. and so I'm going to give them a little shout-out because yeah. I love them. So awesome. We ran into one of those guys at the coffee shop one time. No, he ran into Chris. Yeah, and he was moving to San Diego. I had no clue who he was. And (laughs) and I was just like, oh, you moved to San Diego. Do you got a job out there? Like, what are you going to do? And he's like, oh, I'm a musician. And I was like, about to be like, okay, well, like, but do you have a job? And (laughs) But I could tell that he kind of had that musician look about him, so I just kind of left it. (laughs) And then then I was like, Jen, who the hell was that guy? And she's like, oh, that's a good dude from All American Rejects. Oh. Abel was trying to, like, give him some connections. I was like, I know some people in San Diego. I'm like, you know. Well, and he's so humble. I mean, he really is. He's like, I think he even was like, well, I'm, like, self-employed. I'm, you know, music. I mean, just really, like, kind of skimmed over it. And Abel's, like, trying to give him some, um, yeah, some, like, resources I'm kind of a big deal. I just like to help people out. I've moved to new places before. That's right. I dropped several hundreds on the ground. Would you mind getting those? Then you saw him on the Grammys and you thought, crap. He should have bought my coffee. <laughs> there, yes, there, yeah. there are other pop artists. Yeah. Who are, yeah. And, and, there, and within all the genres, it's like, there's going to be good people. You know, it's, you know, and we, we even talk about, because we've touched on religion, we've touched on a lot of those things. And, and I had a 
conversation with a good friend of mine that he worked in churches for years, and he was talking to me about working outside of the church that he feels like there's a whole lot less baggage and back and forth and nonsense and all this stuff. And I told him, I said, you know, the reality that I figured out is that there are good people in the church and there are bad people in the church. There are good people as as real estate developers and there are bad people that are real estate developers. There are good people in media and there are bad people in media. And like, we're, I think we've, I think we tend to find what we look for. And then whenever it gets surprised, we get angry about it. I get angry about it. <clears throat> but the reality is um, there are good people in all kinds of walks of life. Yeah. And nobody Absolutely. has cornered the market on good people. <laughs> and, and that makes me hopeful because I tend to watch out for the jerks. Yeah. I, I expect them at every turn. Yeah. Um, so within pop music and rock and roll in general and indie rock and all these things that we that we equate like relational value in it's like well pop music is gloss and glam and this and singer songwriters are this and this and this and indie rock kids are skinny jeans and mustaches and and beard balm and that's what they do that's their thing and it's like yeah it's a stereotype <clears throat> yeah they're all stereotypes that Hopefully we'll take more than five minutes to figure out that they're not necessarily, they're not really the case. Yeah. Well, Brian, tell the listeners what you do, because I didn't really introduce you as a consultant and um, all the, you, you do a lot. So in general, I get things off of top shelves for people. That's what I do <laughs> most of the time. Um, I'm you're very tall because I'm very tall for those of you that can't see me right now. That's like um, your email, the tall yeah, shot. I'm, <laughs> Six uh, foot I'm, twelve, right? Yeah, I'm six foot twelve. I'm 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 six foot That's supposed to be I'm ironic. six foot thirteen. <laughs> no, what is it? I don't even remember what it is. Six foot eighteen, something like that. Yeah. Um I'm six foot eight, so I get things off of top shelves a lot for people. Um I do brand development for companies, so I'm kind of the guy that tells people when they have an ugly baby. Um it's sitting down and going, here are the things that are going on, because <clears throat> my friend Jared and I, he's he's been reminding me, he's like, You feel things for a living. That's what you do. You feel things. I'm like, I, I kind of like that. Like, I'm not sure that that's entirely accurate right now, but I'm kind of enamored with the idea of like walking into a place and feeling like this is, this is what we, this is the intuition. These are all these things, mm -hmm. which um, it's, it's really random and this may not be interesting to anybody else but me, but, <clears throat> but I'm going to share it anyway, because I have the microphone. Um, <laughs> and it's interesting to and you. It's, and it's interesting to me. Um, my son's, um, about a year and a half ago were diagnosed with a, a sensory processing disorder, which is there's Asperger's, there's autism, and there's sensory processing disorder. It's basically a, a disorder where um, everything is coming in and you get overwhelmed by it and you revert to fight or flight. And it's, a, it's actually a physical thing, but it's nothing that they can do. You can't do anything medically about it. They can't medicate you. you can't. So it's all learning coping mechanisms. My seven-year-old was struggling with it, struggling with coping mechanisms because he was he went to he went to fight automatically, um, and he's like me. He's a little bit bigger than everybody else in his class, so if you get in his face and he feels threatened, he's going to knock you down. He just is, and he's going to feel really terrible about it. But that's what he's going to do because that's fight or flight, and he really can't help himself. 
So we've been working with all these things. And my older son, he's not flight, but he's the kid that he's actually the kid you should be worried about because he takes two steps back and he figures out how to get around you. And if the <laughs> fastest way around you is through you, then he'll do it. But if the fastest way around you is to just talk you out of it, he'll do that too. But he's going to get around you. Um, but in figuring all that out, the reason I share all this is, um, in general, with SPD kids, they, generally speaking, SPD kids tend to be introverts because that's their wall. That's their barricade that helps them to deal with the world. And the lady that we go to for occupational therapy, um, about six weeks into going to, into visiting with her, she said, have you guys, have you figured out? Because I asked her, I was like, is this genetic? Is this something that happened? Is it random? She said, it's genetic. Someone in your family has it too. About six weeks into going there, she said, have you figured out the genetic component of this? And I was like, no. She goes, <laughs> it's you. <laughs> and I was like, all right then. You pushed her down. You're like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. I felt threatened. I started hitting her. Yeah. No. Um, but clicking. Yeah. But in talking with her, she started talking. She said, you know, usually kids are um, introverts. She said, none of your family are introverts. They're all extroverts. And she said, she said, your defense mechanism, your layer, your protection is your intuition. She said, you don't believe anything until you take it in. You don't believe anything. You don't trust anything. You don't trust anybody. Um, she said, if you go to a restaurant, you want to sit where that you can see them cooking because you want to see how it's done. And it doesn't mean you want to learn how to do it. You want to see how it's done. Um, and she said, and she was, she talks about how we're, SPD kids tend to be sensate junkies. We want to feel things. We want to consume things and feel them all. And we want to take them all in. And a lot of times they tend to be addictive personalities that can wreck their lives. Um, but she's, I've watched as my sons have learned coping mechanisms and all the things that go along with that. And I've watched it too and realized how much, like she even said, in a session one day with one of my sons, she said, what do you do for a living? And she's like, you realize you do that because of your predisposition, like you are SPD. And because of that, you take it all in, you categorize it, you place it, you figure it out, you consume it, you feel it. And that's why you do the things that you do. Yeah. And I was like, so, so it's kind of pushed me on this journey in the last year and a half of looking at whether you walk into a restaurant or you walk into a manufacturing facility. It's on some level, you're taking in the temperature of the place and going, something doesn't feel quite right. And sometimes it's just like with, with what I do, sometimes the problem is that the owner is not doing something he loves. Mm -hmm. They don't really like it and they don't really care. Um, and they're trying to figure out why their company's struggling. And it's like, you know why your company's struggling? Because you hate this. Mm -hmm. So how about we adjust what it is you're doing so it lines up with who you are? Yeah, and that's been your gift. And that's interesting that she really like pinpointed that. Yeah. Or pinpointed that. In a different, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's so interesting, yeah. Brian. Because so. you really, you do, you come into a situation and you're able to like kind of dissect it to where, you right. know. Yeah. Before I forget to ask you this, where can, um, we're not wrapping up right now, but where can people find you? Elemental. Elemental coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be the guy sitting in the corner staring at his computer screen with his headphones in. Um, uh, 
yeah, you can find me at Elemental Coffee a lot because um, one of my running jokes now is you can solve most any, everything over a cup of coffee. Yeah, like that's kind of that's kind of the thing because it changes the An nature of conversations. Cup of coffee. An, An elemental, elemental. specifically, yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> um, they actually have they sponsor us as yeah, well. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can find me online at plpt.co. That's my company. Cool. Um, it's all the letters for pulpit without the without the uh, vowels. Mm-hmm. the vowels. Yeah. Well, you also have a really great interview with our brother podcast intersections with Brett mm-hmm. Dickerson. Yeah. So I would yeah. want to direct people to that to yeah. hear even more. Yeah. And more about my boys. Yes. Like there was a whole section. Yep. We did this interview that was about H and eight stuff and I got talking about my boys and he was like, that's a, that's a podcast all by itself. Yeah. You guys like, did part one and part yeah. two. Yeah. yeah. Which was my favorite. That was my favorite interview <laughs> I've done. So Yeah. Next to this one, of course. Yes, I know, right? This is <laughs> totally tops it. Um, so, Charlie, tell us about like you said that you've kind of backed off. Obviously, touring. You have kids and wife and all yeah, the family. And yeah. So, tell us about what you've been doing lately and kind of your projects and what life has been looking like for you. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, in my in my late thirties, really my early to late thirties, life just started to crackle down to not much. Um, my career was in, um, decent condition, my music career, my, my, um, my real life, my human life was dismantling and disintegrating. And so getting closer into my, getting closer to 40, um, in my mid thirties, I started actually, uh, um, kind of studying about becoming 40. I don't know if anybody's oh. done that before, but it was... Have you taken the test I'm always kind of... <laughs> you what? Maybe I should look into that. Yeah, yeah. you should start that. Yeah, the test sucks. <laughs> yeah. the test I failed is, it four times. Yeah. I'm still 39. You're still 39 <laughs> over and over and over. moved on. Um, but I started, um, like, preparing, you know, for the back half of life and, and really trying to question my life and question my... Um, where where I was putting my attention and my passion and my my hope and my dreams and um and I, I did several things to kind of prepare for it but one of the things was reading a book and this was the biggest like moment where I just laid my head back and I was like what the heck but the line was s- simple and kind of dumb but he was the question was where are you boxing past your prime and so I'm in my my mid 30s probably 37 and I thought, man, I'm boxing past my prime in a lot of ways. And I really, I've got um, theoretical roots in places, but I don't know how deep they are. I think they're deep enough to grow, but not deep enough to flourish. And so it was during that time where I made a bunch of big and hard decisions to deepen my roots, look at my life, and um, look at a good life. I mean, I had a good life. It was a busted up life, but it was a good life. And I just decided to, where do I need to root down and where do I need to um, heal up and where do I need to grow up? And um, so that's been my last, you know, uh, probably seven, eight years is just trying to figure out how to root in. So one of the ways um, I did that was was to slowly come off the road. And um, as my kids were getting older, they were starting to enter their teen years. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, so come off the road, 
stand with my stand with my kids in a new and different way. Um, look at my my interior life in a new and different way. Um, I believe that when um, the spiritual systems like the church um, can be both cruel and terrible and painful, they can also be like massively beautiful in the way that you get in the way that a a, a rose bush gets pruned, you know. So there's almost like a cutting to being a part of a, a, a spiritual system like a church. There's a pruning that can take place, but in the in the pain of pruning, there's blooms. Yeah, sure. And so I think um, I think my re-engagement in the church. I'd kind of written off the church for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. I've, I'd hit so many different pain points that I felt like uh, I don't belong with the people that are so good and clean and right, which is really odd because I spent so much in my life giving myself to those people. And then all of a sudden I just felt like, yeah, these are the people I actually don't fit with. And then after a few years of kind of spinning in a circle, I realized like, you know, actually, if, if you find the right place, these are the people that realized they couldn't do it right. They can't make it right. They need something outside of themselves. And that's actually the people that I need to be a part of. And so when I re-entered that, um, came off the road, um, gave my, gave myself to my kids, examining my life, my interior life, rooting down in a, in a church system that could watch over me. Um, man, everything really changed. And um, when I when I started to again, I don't you know I don't I don't know if this is the place to be spiritual or not spiritual, but the truth of my life is when I started letting God be God on His terms and not my terms, which is a problem in Oklahoma City spiritually. People reject God because they want Him on their terms. Um, when I started saying to God, "I'll take you on your terms," which is always a really good decision. If it, if God is really real, that's a really good decision. So when I started doing that, that was the other thing that flipped my life inside out. And um, just taking him as he is, and um, or as God is, and and um, and those were some of the more powerful moves over the last six, seven years. I um, giving myself again to like the beauty and power of marriage. Um, marriage is easily rejected in our day and time. Um, because it's another, it's another system that you can feel crushed by, but just like how I would describe the church, the beauty of church is that I get pruned and I get blooms. Marriage is you get pruned and you get blooms. And it, at the point of like saying, I would rather the pruning process to the blooms was when I was able to go, I respect and love marriage, the institution of marriage. And in a day where people reject institution, I um, love and respect the, the institution of the church in a day where everybody wants to reject that. And it's cool to reject that and make up God for however they want to make him up. I was able to root down and re-embrace those things. And then so there's something different now when I feel really screwed up, really broken, really dark, really wrestling there's something beautiful about the root, the roots I've created around me that go down, um, that hold me in place and that 
snip off the dead parts and let some of the good stuff really come out. And so I, I assume like if, if, if however it works, if I can hang on and if God can hang on to me, which is a re- almost a crazy statement, but um, I assume over the next 40 years, I'll go through lots of ups and downs, screwed up moments, broken moments, and powerful and beautiful moments. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not just picking one side of that. It's going, I'll take the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that risk of like the risking my heart in those places where you can get snipped. Um, it actually makes your heart come alive, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you see for 2017? Do you have any things on your bucket list or both of you guys at resolutions? Do you guys do resolutions or do you? Oh, man. Intentions. We talked about intentions with our intentions. yoga box girls. Yeah. Yeah. Resolution is, is like at this point in my life, it's like, here are the things I will probably not do. <laughs> um Maybe intentions is probably good for me, man. I just, I'm going to, for me, I'm, I'm in a time of life where I want to, I want to continue to figure out how to drop my guard and, um, and laugh and cry Mm -hmm. a little bit deeper in both directions. Um, and that's also scary. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fake laugh. I don't want to fake cry, but I really want to feel and experience life as it would come to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I, I want to, you know, I mean, part of my job is I'm a, uh, I'm a, I'm a mentor leader. And so I, I want to give my life to, um, the next generation and help, um, help light up a path that's really hard to see mm-hmm. yeah. and give them permissions to, to screw up and give them permissions to fly a little bit and to try things. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to, I want some more of the rootedness that I talked about. I, I want to root down more in my, um, in my marriage and, uh, um, give more of myself to it. Mm-hmm. Um, give more of myself to my kids. And I've got just a, I've got two teenagers that I've just got a few more years with. Um, And then I've got two younger ones that I still have time to spank them in their faces. Um, (laughs) I probably shouldn't say that online. Out of all the things that we've said tonight, (laughs) spanking a kid in the face is not... I think that's the first that's we've had. That's, that's, the, that's the beautiful thing about our space. We have an open space for whatever you <laughs> want to well, see. You're looking for parenting tips. <laughs> that's right. It feels like you're in a safe room with five other people, but it's, yeah. you have a microphone in your face. Um, There's at least five more people going to hear this. Yeah. Right, right. That's sweet. Yeah, Huge we used to sell records to dozens of people. Um, <laughs> tens of records. Tens of records. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, outside of those intentions, um, oh, maybe one more. I think I might just be making this up right now. <laughs> um, but I, uh, my wife went out of town for like six days. And so I, I spent like a whole afternoon, like 
researching old love songs Aww. like Richard Marks and I know look at that face that's on you. old that, that's old yeah Richard Marks wow <laughs> um I was like expecting Sinatra to come out of your mouth oh You're I like, wish Richard Marks Brian Adams <laughs> <laughs> it's Ryan Adams um, <laughs> everything I do I do it for you <laughs> but I I like did all, I researched all these songs and tried to think of songs that she liked and and then I just redid them acoustically and sang them in my iPhone and sent it to her. I thought you were going to tell me you made a mixtape. Yeah. I did. Yeah. I made a mixtape of my... You did in the modern world. That's yeah. a mixtape. And I'd send her one each day that she was gone. And I thought that that was about the pressureless six hours of music that I felt <laughs> in a long time. Because wow. I didn't feel the I didn't feel the pressure. Like I didn't have to send them to her if they didn't turn out. I wasn't sending them to a record company. I wasn't performing them in front of people it was just like this is just fun to do eric clapton yeah. mm -hmm. and uh but if they google charlie hall love songs <laughs> she's actually posted them online yeah for you to download yeah just be careful <laughs> don't don't just google everything that brian says to google. they're on spotify now <laughs> can so, you imagine there was no pressure right. and then you're like no, she, <laughs> she put them on her Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I'll, yeah, maybe I'll um, do a, some Spotify love songs to, yeah. to my wife. That's I'd subscribe cool. to that station. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I would. <laughs> You'd be the first one. Yeah. That'll, that's Second. my new year's resolution is to, is to <laughs> is <that your laughs> subscribe to that station. <laughs> if I, if I yeah. get my intent my new year's intention <laughs> you can do your news resolution that you probably won't do <laughs> well charlie thank you for bringing i know the, uh we talked about you performing today are you did you bring us a, a song or two to play i can i can do a song um yeah. i will need um some you to distract yourself <laughs> while i pull the guitar out and tune it oh no you're fine we'll uh, break and okay then, yeah We'll have uh, we'll give you plenty of time. To okay. Get I felt pressure all of a sudden. I was like, "This is no, this is the least pressure performance space ever." Yeah, yeah. Because no, we'll, we'll give well, you plenty except of time. I'll be we sitting here making faces at you. Yeah. <laughs> so, what did you decide to perform tonight? What did you? Uh, there's a there's an older song that it's been one of my favorites, and um, uh, it's called "Hookers and Robbers," mm -hmm. and um, the whole song is is based on being around. Um, the table of, of Jesus as a cripple or as an addict or as a murderer, mm -hmm. um, as a as a prostitute, as as one who any of us who've wasted our lives in any sort of various format. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's the real invitation of Jesus is the is the messy and the broken get to sit at the table, and um, the the arrogant, proud, and self-righteous usually find themselves outside. Mm -hmm. And I think it's usually the arrogant, proud, and self-righteous that think they're at the table. Mm -hmm. But this, um, this Jesus usually looks at things way upside down than, than the way we look at them. So this song called Hookers and Robbers. Nice. Cool. This song is, quite honestly, this is my seven-year-old's favorite song in the whole world. <laughs> still is to this day. That's he gets awesome. in the car still, and he's like, can we play Hookers and Robbers? I'm like... Not again. Do I get seven cents every time I play this? <laughs> I'll give you seven cents every time. <laughs> but it's his favorite song to this day. 
That's you awesome. just yeah. brought your keyboard. Yeah, no, I'm going to just hold up the phone and I'm going to record it and I'm going to send it and show it to him. And he'll think it's a great, great night. It's we'll probably stream it on Facebook Live. Yeah, we stream it on Facebook Live. Tell him to tune in here. Um, He's only seven. I don't let him have Facebook. Okay. That's wise. He might meet one of his old classmates. <laughs> Admire yeah. you for that. <laughs> Well, Ryan, did you give us your social media? I want to make sure people know where to find you guys. I make it as hard as possible to find me on social media. <laughs> um, yeah, that's really, that's the yeah, goal. That's the best I do everything that. wrong. Um, you can find me at, under uh, at ask, A-S-K underscore C-O underscore lab, ask collab. Got it. That's me. You can find me there. Yeah, I try to make it hard. Um, I try to put an asterisk in there, but I guess... Yeah. Twitter doesn't let you do that. Every other letter is capital. Yeah. yeah. And some of the L's are actually ones. And <laughs> it's like decoding. The A's are all in Greek. Yeah. Yeah. It's real or why not? Possible. Yeah. There's an umlaut in there. It's more hardcore if you have umlauts. It is. <laughs> if Motorhead's taught me anything. <laughs> and they have. Yeah. Whether you wanted them to or not. Clearly. Charlie, where can we find you? Um, my Instagram is at Charlie Hall Band. Cool. Um, and I believe that's my Twitter. Yep. And yeah, <laughs> you probably set that up years ago. I, I still log into it. I, just, I remember <laughs> someone being like, you're not on Twitter. You know, everyone needs to be on Twitter. I'm like, what is Twitter? <laughs> um, and here I am again going, I don't even know that Twitter exists sometimes because my, all my Instagram goes to that. Um, so Instagram at Charlie Hall Band. And um, yeah, that's a, a good way to catch me. And just a quick mention of your band because um, Dustin Raglan, I grew up with Dustin Raglan oh, as well. Yeah. Give him a little shout out because yeah. I adore him. He's just such a cool guy. Um, and then Quint Anderson. Yeah. I n have known his wife for a long time. Awesome. And so do you, are, are you guys still intact and performing? And we're, um, we are not on the road anymore. Okay. We're not riding. Dustin and I are still <laughs> um, working pretty closely um, producing music together for um, Frontline Church, mm -hmm. which is um, a one of the pastors there, mm -hmm. and he's on a team with me that we're, of songwriters and producers, and um, that create music for for that community. And uh, so he and I get to spend a lot of time together. We we actually we just finished a Christmas record. Oh, great! Um, so you can look up Frontline Music on iTunes or Spotify and listen to our Christmas record mm -hmm. um, that Dustin. Uh, intelligently and heartfully produced. Oh, he's so talented. Um, yeah. With so many great songwriters. Justin Jocelyn was a part of our crew for a long time and just moved on uh, to some to some great stuff. And um, so you can you can hunt him down there. Um, Quint and I need to catch up. Mm -hmm. And um, Brian and I run into each other all the time at the school and occasionally at the coffee shop. And um, so. We're, and actually, Quint keeps trying to put together these little reunions, and I think Brian and I were the hardest to get to we were like, nail down. <laughs> we were like, we can only do it on this one night, and then Charlie was like, I, I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> Which he wasn't really sick. He just didn't want to hang out no, with us. I, I'm, we're used I'm, to that. The, the more I'm over myself, the more introverted I find I am. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, it was lovely having both of you. It just, we had a very inspirational conversation with you guys. Again, it's nice not to have an agenda or where For sure. we're going to go with it. So it was great to hear your insights and mm. wisdom. Um, so we look forward to hearing your song um, coming up right in a few minutes. And um, you can find Grounded Sounds at Grounded Sounds on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, 
where are we on Facebook? <laughs> We're on Ground and Sounds Okay on Facebook. Yes. So, yep, and plug into us. And you can go to more information at cellardoormusicgroup.com about how you can support us in the podcast. And um, thank you again to Charlie Hall and Brian Bergman for being here tonight. Yeah, thank so you. happy to and um, really our pleasure for sure. Well, yeah. well thank you. <laughs> Up a glass, time to remember. Come break this bread, celebrate the forgiver. 